Welcome back to the Rocky Talk podcast hosted by Varun Swaminathan. Today we're here with Mr. Chris Ager and Mr. Ray Buckley. Uh, thank you both so much for being with us. Thanks for having All us. Right. Thank you. So just to start off, uh, as we look ahead to the 2024 presidential election, what issues would you say are most important to your respective state parties? So um, on the Republican side, um, the, the economy is, is the top issue right now, you know, broadly. And, and after that, uh, the border is, is very important to a lot of people for the security, especially after um, the, the hostilities in, in Israel right now and uh, the concern over uh, security of the borders. So, um, and then crime is also in certain areas uh, especially uh, the, the more urban areas, um, folks are concerned about the crime and homelessness. So I think those are the three uh, top issues for, for most of the folks um, in the Republican Party right now. Obviously, on the Democratic side, um, the uh, issue of uh, reproductive rights is of paramount importance. Uh, once the Supreme Court ruled that the states are now in charge, um, the concept of having a uh, you know, a radical uh, anti-abortion uh, governor could have serious implications on, on the women of, of New Hampshire. So uh, obviously we'll be talking uh, about that. Uh, the uh, housing uh, challenge, uh, the economy is always, uh, how, how do we uh, make, make the middle class strong again? Uh, that, you know, over the last few years, it's been separating further and further. The, some people are getting uh, poorer and others at the very top are getting mega wealthy. Um, and how do we make sure that New Hampshire doesn't uh, become one of those tale of two cities uh, states? Um, but uh, there are a number of issues that, uh, that folks want to address. The environment is, is always important. Uh, public education, uh, making sure that uh, public schools are uh, adequately funded uh, and that the, uh, the children of, of New Hampshire provide the sort of quality education that our uh, state constitution requires. Um, and uh, so that's a priority. Thank you both. Uh, so New Hampshire is one of the most independent states in the country. Uh, do you view this political ambiguity as a strength or is it something that you feel you have to overcome when you're campaigning for your respective parties? So I, I, think, um, I think it's a great strength of the state of New Hampshire because it requires the party to look bigger than just within its own party. And, and we have to appeal to the broader cross-section of people throughout the state. And sometimes, uh, as uh, Chairman Buckley and I discussed at lunch, um, it, it creates an environment where your candidates have to be a little bit more moderate, perhaps, and more representative of the total state so you don't swing way back and forth. And so I think it's a big strength. I really enjoy um, that it's 30% Republican, 30% Democrat, and 40% undeclared. And we have to fight over those undeclared voters. I think it's a great strength. Well, it's, it has significantly changed uh, New Hampshire. Uh, growing up in New Hampshire in the 60s and 70s and 80s, uh, it was an overwhelmingly Republican state. Uh, and so now that essentially every race at every level is challenged. Um, and so uh, whether you're running for the state legislature or running for president of the United States, you've got to compete for, for votes. And where you compete uh, for those votes are uh, with the independents. Um, and it's uh, critically important that you do attract, uh, that you have a message that you attract the, those, uh, those votes. And it's a very slim margin. I mean, the races in New Hampshire are rarely more than uh, 10 
uh, 10 points. Sometimes they are, but mostly they're not. Yeah, I, I think it also um, forces the, the public officials to be responsive yes. uh, to the electorate. And if it's too far one way or the other, um, I believe sometimes you can make bad decisions because your party will have your back. Here, you're always uh, concerned about what the people want. And so I, I think it's good. And also having this big legislature, you know, the 400, you, you really are very close to the people in the state statehouse. Um, and so being close to the people and having people, you know, where it's very competitive, I think provides a, a better uh, class of, of, of leaders. And, and you're always held accountable. So, you know, there's no free rides. So I think it's good. Thank you. Uh, so New Hampshire has been in the news uh, in terms of the primary a lot recently because uh, the president and the DNC have talked about moving the Democratic primary to South Carolina. Uh, what are each of your responses to that? And why do you believe that it is or isn't important that New Hampshire maintains its position as the first primary in the country? Well, those are two really big uh, questions. Um, the first part is, you know, the folks at the White House, the folks at the DNC, uh, were well aware that our law was going to require us to be first the nation, uh, but they still went forward with their decision. Um, so we're we're going forward. Uh, we, the primary is going to be held in, in January, and um, we look forward to the discussions about what the, the calendar is going to look like for 2028. Um, but uh, we're very proud of the citizenry of New Hampshire, uh, the work that they have done uh, as, as voters. Uh, we show up at town hall meetings. We show up, uh, you know, when the candidates go door to door <laughs> uh, and or show up at their workplace. Um, New Hampshire voters take uh, selecting uh, on, in both parties, uh, selecting the, their choice uh, extremely seriously. Uh, and uh, it is unlike what happens anywhere else in the country. Uh, we are not easily wooed by celebrity or, or billionaires, um, and you can run uh, lots of TV ads, and, and the history is filled with people that have spent enormous amounts of money here. Um, uh, Forbes, uh, you know, in the 96 primary said millions and millions and got nothing uh, as a result. There were other candidates throughout the years uh, that have done similar things. So it's really about the quality of the candidate, who, who they are, how do they resonate. Um, and uh, I think that's good for the country. Yes, on the Republican side, we, we have been able to keep New Hampshire first in the rules, first in the primary. And um, the, the date for this year will be set, I think, very soon, um, likely to be January 23rd, but uh, it's up to Secretary of State this is one issue where Chairman Buckley and I um, agree. Uh, New Hampshire is a great place to do a First Nation primary. And the, the retail nature that you have here um, allows for an unknown candidate or somebody who doesn't have big name recognition or money, it allows them to get their message out and see if it connects with average people in New Hampshire. And we have a very well-educated, uh, politically well-educated uh, populace. And so we do provide a service to the country uh, in terms of kind of vetting candidates and, and giving people a chance that don't have the, the name recognition. So, um, you know, the, a lot of times people look at Republicans and Democrats as, as enemies. I don't. I see us as, you know, uh, friendly opponents who want what's best for the country and the state. And in this case, um, we, we're together on this issue. New Hampshire should be the first primary. Thank you. Uh 
So to talk about both of you for a second, you've both served, um, you've both been in public service for your respective parties uh, for a long time. And I know I was reading, Mr. Buckley, you worked on Jimmy Carter's campaign when you were in high school. So how did you both get your starts in your parties? What, and what were the values and policies that initially brought you to be Democrats and Republicans? Well, I, my story is much longer, so I'll, okay. I'll, let, I'll let Chris go. Okay, and then I can take a nap. <laughs> no, so I, I grew up, uh, I was born in Washington, D.C., and grew up inside the Beltway. So um, local news was national news, and politics was on the front page of every, every local newspaper that we had growing up. And so it was just part of, uh, you know, part of my life. I went into the Army, and... While I was in the army, my, my first election came up. My family was Democrats, uh, Union Democrats, and I was I registered as a Democrat. But uh, in 1980, my first election, I'm like, boy, I kind of like this guy, Ronald Reagan, and uh, I, said, I really like this guy, and so I voted for Reagan, switched to Republican, and uh, never never turned back. When I got out of the army, we moved to New Hampshire, and essentially been here ever since, and. When I got my property tax bill after we bought a home and we had a couple little kids, uh, I was like, wow, this is, this is huge. So I, I ran for budget committee, and, uh, and that kind of started my, my interest in, in politics, public service. And, you know, I kind of grew up through the, you know, much later in life than, than uh, Ray here. But, um, you know, I went through the, you know, kind of the progression uh, you know, school board, town committee chairman, county chairman, and then committee man, national committee man, and then party chairman, uh, just elected here in January. And, and so I really got interested in politics uh, first by voting for Ronald Reagan. I mean, it really drew me to the polls. I really wanted to vote for him. Um, and then after that, when I got my property tax bill, I'm like, wow. <laughs> so that those were kind of the defining uh, couple of moments for me. Um, for me, uh I was born uh, here in New Hampshire, over in Cheshire County. Uh, both my parents uh, grew up in uh, as foster children uh, in a pretty uh, difficult uh, childhoods. Uh, uh, they were teenagers uh, when uh, they wed, and I was born, uh, and they struggled mightily. Uh, and uh, at one point, when I was three, um, a friend of my father's, my father was a welder, uh, and a friend of his father said, hey, you know, you got to, you're doing anything because we've got, there's a big project out here in Detroit, Michigan, come on out. So uh, they were, my father was probably what, if I was three, 20, 21, uh, my mother, you know, by then 18, 19. Uh, I remember uh, riding out in the car, the three of us, uh, to Detroit. And obviously, because we didn't have much money, uh, we lived in a, uh, you know, more lower working class neighborhood, um, which at that time uh, was uh, fully integrated. Uh, in fact, I, my, I went to nurse school first grade, uh, nurse school kindergarten first grade, uh, in a completely uh, integrated school, Ella Fitzgerald Elementary School. Uh, so my church, my neighborhood school was. So I uh, was never understood. No, I was never told. I'd never heard that somebody's skin color made made it was any different than someone's hair color. Um, we, that job ended, we ended up coming back to New Hampshire, uh, still struggling. My, we were living in uh, a uh, basement of a, of a couple. Uh, and in second grade, uh, I had this phenomenal teacher in Keene 
that uh, in uh, February of 1967, started talking about Abraham Lincoln and his birthday and the Civil War. And I can remember sitting there going, what? So the great grandparents of my friends that left in Detroit were owned? And the, that, that woke me up. Uh, and, and I said, well, you know, Abraham Lincoln was had just as poor struggle as a childhood, and look what he was able to do. I, I'm not going to be able to do that, but I can do something because if everyone stands up and, and uh, fights for what's right, then bad people can't do bad things to other people. Um, and so I started volunteering in 1968 when I was eight years old. I did my first canvas and uh, volunteered for Muskie, and of course, as you mentioned, uh, for Carter. Um, but the thing that was remarkable is that. In 2008, in a Vesco field in in, um, in Denver, Colorado, when Barack Obama was accepting the nomination, so I'm standing there. Here's this kid that moved by the injustice of, of the racial uh, slavery and inequality, uh, saying there's the you know openly gay state party chair in the field while Barack Obama on the on the anniversary of Martin Luther King's "I Have a Dream" speech, and I was like my entire life just came back in, into circle. Uh, and so working to make sure that, uh, that every, every human being uh, is treated with respect and have uh, an opportunity to succeed uh, is uh, really been the work of my life. Thank you. Uh, so now talking about college students for a second, because we are uh, here at Dartmouth, what issues do you believe college students in particular should be most worried about and why do both your parties offer a better future for today's college students? So college, uh, college students and young people in general um, are going to be impacted more by the policies that are put in place today than, than folks like us, um, than older folks, you know, baby boomers. Um, these policies are going to go into place that are going are to determine you know, can you uh, get a good sustainable job? Am I going to be able to live on my savings? Is there going to be Social Security, which most young people don't really think um, is going to be there? Can I buy an affordable house? Am I going to be, are we going to be at peace or war? Um, we're going to be exempt from a lot of that. That's already happened for my generation. And so being involved, I think, is number one, so you can impact those policy decisions because you're gonna have to live with them. And so the number one uh, that, that I believe that, that you should be most concerned about is, is the economic health of the country that will allow you to be successful um, in whatever you wanna do. Because um, if, if you can't feed yourself and take care of yourself, a lot of other issues become secondary. It's kind of like um, you know, Pavlov's hierarchy. You know, if you can't feed yourself, nothing else matters until you can do that. So being able to, to make sure we don't fail as an economic system. And with $33 trillion of debt that our generation uh, has given you, um, that inheritance, how we're going to deal with that and making sure that we're financially secure so that we can take care of all the personal freedom issues that, that are of concern to everyone. Can't have those if you're not financially secure. So Republican Party. Um, and both parties, frankly, have not done a good job at it. Um, but the Republican Party is, uh, I believe, more of a, a fiscally uh, responsible party, even though both have had failures. Uh, 
but moving forward, you know, spending that money responsibly and not adding unnecessarily uh, to the debt and kind of working down that debt. Uh, the last time I think we had a balanced budget was uh, with uh, Newt Gingrich and Bill Clinton uh, back in the day. So that's, that's what I believe the, the top issue is. And then that allows you the freedom, you know, to, to, to pursue your dreams and, and everything else that, that comes with that security uh, of, of financial stability. One of the things that I'm just fascinated by is that uh, this generation uh, is in the midst of a, a very large revolution on how uh, they look at uh, their future, uh, how they uh, look at how they want to spend their lives, how they interact with one another, how they want people interacting with them. Uh, and uh, there are some, part, you know, some aspects of, of uh, parties uh, might not be responding well uh, to this huge cultural change that we're in the midst of. Um, and uh, to many uh, young people, that is of their highest priority. They want to be treated uh, with the utmost of respect and that everything is, follows after that. Um, and uh, it is, I, I find it fascinating to learn from uh, young people on how they perceive uh, the world, how they perceive the future, and, and where we're headed. Um, you know, all of the big issues, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, you know cl the climate, uh, you know, personal, uh, like, uh, you know, abortion or LGBTQ rights, uh, all of that sort of stuff is all under attack. And I, I know that the passion of this generation for them um, is uh, so powerful uh, that they will have uh, an impact uh, in this election and, and for, I think, believe uh, several in the future. Thank you. Uh, and thank you both for being with us. Uh, it was a pleasure to talk to both of you. All right. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast is a production of the Nelson A. Rockefeller Center for Public Policy and the Social Sciences. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and not of the Rockefeller Center. This episode was produced and edited by Laura Hemlock. I hope you'll join us for our next episode. If you want more information, you can find us at rockefeller.dartmouth.edu.